Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Gregory Crutzen. Gregory Crutzen studied photography at SUNY Purchase and the Yale University School of Art, where he is now the Director of Studies in Photography. He has exhibited his work around the world and published several books of his photography. Much of his work takes place in small-town America and specifically in the western Massachusetts area. Gregory spends years scouting and producing large-scale productions that look very cinematic in style. He has cited films such as Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo as well as David Lynch's Blue Velvet as inspirations to his work. Gregory's attention to detail and storytelling ability is something that has intrigued me for years, so I was really excited to get a chance to speak with him and hear about how he pulls off these massive productions. So I hope you enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. All right, I now welcome on uh, Gregory Crudson. Uh, Gregory, uh, it's been a crazy year, man, uh, for everybody. Uh, like, how, how are you kind of hanging in there? with this work life how's this year kind of been for you i guess i mean like for all of us it's been really uh a challenge and it's a time to reflect and uh, and you know it's a chaotic world and i believe that we all in one way or another turn to art whether it's photography or movies or literature or whatever it is to try to establish some kind of order or stability in the world yeah definitely and like what are you kind of been doing with your time like have you still been inspired to create work or what are you kind of been doing the last nine months i guess with everything going on well the the main thing that we've been working on um was uh and in a very challenging ways you know i had a body of work an eclipse of moths that um we actually made uh about two years ago um but was scheduled to open during this period and um of course when we made the pictures we had couldn't have imagined um we all be in this circumstance and so we've been challenged by the idea or um the conception of getting this work out there um but also thinking outside of the box in terms of like having uh, an audience that is um not confined just to gallery spaces mm. Yeah, because I, I have, I've actually, I've had some, uh, I went online, some galleries been doing like virtual shows and stuff like that. Um, it's obviously way different. It's, it's a completely different experience. Is that something you guys have been playing around with or even have any interest in doing that this during this time period, I guess? Well, I think photography, you know, if you take a step back and think even before the pandemic, um, Photographers, uh, I think, have been in um, a very complicated relationship to the medium in terms of the understanding that, on one hand, the audience photography has never been bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, 
But on the other, 99.9% uh, .9 of the population experience photographs through screens, yep. through uh, Instagram or other social media or computer screens. So those of us who believe in the idea that like photographs as a physical object that hangs on a wall that has certain kind of permanence, um, we have to understand that like a very small percentage of the world experiences pictures in that way. Most people experience pictures as a disposable mirage in a certain way, you know, um, as a kind of way of evidencing that your life is, um, is good and, and, uh, and um, evidence of like your own standing and your own uh, position in, in, in the larger society. So we're already in a kind of weirdly diminished space in terms of like those of us who have a kind of belief in the idea that pictures can move us in one way or another. Yeah. And, you know, like you're saying, like, it's a different world we're living in now and the way people view their pictures is completely different. And I was just kind of interested to get your perspective because like, with Instagram, you have a decent sized following on there. And like, I, I was just kind of reading through comments and people really love your work and respond to it. But it's really interesting because you spent all these years, like spending all these times building, building these big productions. And I know you spent years shooting eight by 10. I don't know if you shoot eight by 10 anymore, but yeah, it, but then like, it goes on to a screen that's like two inches, two inches uh, wide. Like, how do you kind of view like Instagram and social media? Like, it, it, it's just kind of a thing you have to do now as a business or like, how do you kind of view it? Like you said, cause so many people, that's where they see people's work now. Well, I think you have to look at it in two different ways. I think on one level, you, no one could ever mistake mm -hmm. social media for in terms of, you know, an artist's work as the thing itself. Yeah. But on the other level, it's like, uh, particularly now it's like, the currency of our culture. And it is a way, in the end, we all make art in a way to communicate something. So like if, um, so I think that like, um, it's not useful to like, um, not acknowledge the existence, but maybe try to work with it the pictures themselves though, the physical objects that hang in galleries and museums are the thing. Yeah. You know? But even in an ideal situation, I would say a fraction of the world sees it that way. So like, um, so like anything, it has its, you know, positives and negatives and, you know, uh, photographers, art photographers in general have a very strange um, kind of um, relationship to the medium in that photography is the currency of our culture. We all understand our, 
and know how to read pictures and we read thousands of them each day. Mm -hmm. That's not the case for like a painting or sculpture or video, you know, installation or. So the challenge is to like make, use that democratic language in a way that like um, could connect to people and also, but also at the same time, the struggle is to make a way of making pictures that feels subjective and um, that reveals a, 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 um, a vision of the world. Yeah, definitely. And I guess one more question on that, uh, the social media aspect is because it, it must be interesting because we live in a time where like, like, for instance, the way I contacted you through your um, producer was just yeah. through Instagram, d direct message. And you go on your Instagram, you get hundreds of comments on, on your photos you post. Like, do you, do, you, do you enjoy the feedback? Do you ever learn anything from it? Do you ignore it? Because uh, it is an interesting time. Like before social media, the only way, I guess, you, you would get an opinion about art or something is like reading some like art uh, critic or something. But now it's like you're your your fans or whatever you want to call them people that enjoy your work they have a direct access to you and can comment on every piece of artwork you put out there on instagram you know yeah i mean i th i think it's like um like anything a double-edged sword but the, you know if i keep going back to the idea that like we all at the core of it want to communicate something you know mm -hmm. like in the end like i i sort of call myself a storyteller mm -hmm. And, um, you know, photography is like limited in terms of any story you can tell, but like in terms of the fact that it's uh, uh, frozen and still in time. But I, the, the audience or the viewership needs to complete the story, you know? Um, so there needs to be a transaction at the end between, um, the maker and the viewer. Mm. So, um, so, uh, and I think every artist strives to have that. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, I went to photo school. I I, I know you teach at Yale now yeah. in the photo department. And at least for me, when I was in photo school, a big part of the program was like you know, whatever it was every week, or every month, you had a critique and you had to show your work. And there was like people talk about it for you. Obviously you, you, you've accomplished a lot and had a lot of success in, in photography, but even at this point in your career, do you, do you find it necessary to get uh, opinions from, I don't know, maybe the people that work with you or just getting feedback on the work you're doing now? Or like, how do you kind of view that aspect of the process, I guess? Well, I, I tend to actually be very private about like, um, my work when I'm in the process of making it. Very few people see it. Yeah. Um, I mean, when we're making work, you know, we work with a large scale crew and, you know, there's a lot of people involved. So that's fairly public. But when we're in the post-production post aspect, you know, I'm working very closely with my printer. Um, and uh, Julianne, my partner and producer, and myself, that's basically it. So one of the reasons I think for that is that um, 
it's important during that period to like maintain ownership of the pictures. And once they go out in the world, um, in terms of exhibition mm-hmm. or, you know, distributing in magazines or on social media, or whatever, you kind of have to give them up. You lose, you lose your, you kind of lose the ownership of them. So they become part of the more public domain. Yeah. So I really value the time, the months, and sometimes year, years where we're working on these things in the studio because like, um, you know, like I think all artists, there's a combination, You all of us have it of like both feeling like a combination of like, you know, feeling sort of, uh, you know, there's a streak of narcissism that like everything you make is great. <laughs> but at the very same time, there's huge doubt. Yeah. You know, so like, you don't want to be thrown off by at that early stage of like your own belief in the work. Because if you don't believe in the work, there's no one else that's going to um, uh, believe in it. You know, first and foremost, you have to like, because you're willing it into life and you have to believe that what you're doing is important. Yeah. And, and with like the, cause like a lot of your work, it is like these big productions um, and you spend years on it like you do. Is there ever like a point where you're just like, you're like halfway in it and you're like, man, this, this ain't working. Like we spent all this time and then you're in this position where we got all the crew, we got the location, we got the lights. And then it's cause like, as you know, like you can think of a project in your mind as much as you want and plan it out. But then like the day of the shoot, like it might just be completely different. Do you, how do you kind of deal with those situations if they do even pop up? It's, it's part of the process, yeah. you know, photography is, you know, um, is uh, there's an element of failure in um, in the fact that um, there's an element of failure in every you know uh, in every picture that you make because it's not exactly what you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different ways it could go wrong or um, that photography can fail you. Um, so I, uh, and then at the end of the day, either a picture works or it doesn't, but it never ever is what you imagined it to be. Yeah. That's for sure. Like you have a clear and concise understanding of what you think the picture is gonna be and then it becomes something else. You know, it always becomes something other than what you imagine. There are so many things that happen in terms of weather and lighting and um, other th- other things that just are outside of your grasp. Yeah, and one of the six sticks out for me um, in the documentary, I think, came out in 2012. Yeah. It was one of your famous pictures, "Brief Encounters," where you guys shut down this entire street and spent like like a long time like lighting it. And then it's almost right before you're about to shoot, 
like a like a giant truck that drives through the snow. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> what there's it's the paradox there was the dry, the giant truck um, was there to like uh, came late to uh, to turn off the street lamps which we need turned off. So there were it was necessary that they came in there. Yeah. But then they left they left marks all over, you know, like uh, tracks all over the street. And of course, um, we did our best to cover them up and then we've corrected our, as much as we could in post-production. But those things just happen. That's just like yeah. part of, um, I mean, the, the positive of that like experience was that we were able to shut down an entire main street in anticipation of a snow storm and we convinced the town to close it and not to like um you know not, not to plow the streets so that was the positive yeah no doubt no doubt and i guess for you are, are you the type of photographer do you do you do you always have like a project you're working on or do you kind of give yourself time off or like what's your kind of artistic process because like 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 we we're saying like a lot of your work you're spending years on it and it's like these big productions i guess yeah, I'm not a photographer who's constantly working, that's for sure. I'm like, um, I think you could probably safely say that, like, you could divide my working existence into pre-production, production, and post-production. And with time in between all of those. But, like, the time that we're actually working and shooting is very small. Yeah, You know, it's like... Um, um, so, you know, uh, in, in, in this last, in Eclipse of Moss, it was about a year in preparation. Mm -hmm. Then we shot over the course of like, um, we're sort of in pre-production for like maybe two months, like working with a smaller group, six months in production, six weeks in production, and then literally like a year over a year printing wow yeah that's a lot of printing yeah it's, it's it's mostly just like compositing different like elements and you know and all of that's done here in the studio and then and then it's and then there's the process of like getting the work in the world you know doing the book and exhibitions and um and then when that's all over, then you start to like, there's a, you f there's a restlessness and you start to feel like uh, you need to get back to work and um, slowly but surely that part of your brain sort of gets back in, into the process of creating. Yeah, so then the cycle begins again. And I was like looking at your work and it seems maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of your work you shoot like in the summer months. I know some of it's winter, but w would that be like a fair assessment to like a lot of the work you shoot? Yeah, for sure. There's uh, and there's practical reasons for that. Like the, the first and foremost, it's because of the light, hmm. you know, those long nights, uh, long days, I mean, and um, twilights, because that's the time when we could work with the you know, uh, ambience of the sun and the, our lights together. Yeah. Uh, so that's, and then, um, you know, obviously I'm not teaching and uh, it's, um, it's just, 
and then you know i really enjoy the sort of the landscape at that point um although there are other times of the year i would love to shoot maybe in the next body of work you know um so but that's the yeah mainly i would say you're right the summer mostly because the light yeah no that makes sense and I guess to go back, like, like, where do you grow up? And like, how do you kind of initially get into photography? Well, I grew up in Park Slope in Brooklyn. Uh, my father was a psychoanalyst. And uh, my mom uh, was a um, dance teacher. Um, I mean, I it's a fairly known fact now that my father had his office in the basement of our house. Okay. And I used to like, that was very kind of influential to my work, I think, in terms of like early on, I mean, like I, you know, had early memories of attempting to listen to the sessions, you know, when I was a young boy, putting my ear to the floorboards. Wow. Um, and that probably was among my first aesthetic memories, you know, uh, and then um, I also have a very early memory. It was when I was like 10 years old, my father brought me to the Diane Arbus retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art. Wow. And that was the first time that I had a inkling of the power of pictures, you know. Um, and then I didn't really become involved in photography on a serious level until college. Mm -hmm. So I was at SUNY Purchase and I had always struggled with academia, with dyslexic, the act of taking tests and reading was always very painful for me. So um, I kind of found myself in a photo class mm -hmm. um, intro to photo with Laurie Simmons, the well-known photographer. Yeah. And soon as I, the first picture I ever made and I saw it in the developer bath, I immediately understood like, this is a medium I, I love, you know, and I understand. I think it had a lot to do with just the stillness of it. And um, I could read it in a way. So it was like your your father and your mother like they they were kind of like like uh, enjoyed the arts themselves like or not so much or you know not like you know we weren't in one of those families that would go to art shows and you know I mean we, I mean we were part of like um, you know definitely my parents were part of like the sixties like Brooklyn like you know. Um, kind of uh generation of like um one you know that was kind of brooklyn liberal yeah open-minded kind of we went all went to my me and my brother and sister went to open education you know like uh very kind of experimental schools and um but the fact, I don't even know why my father brought me to the Diane Arbus retrospective. It was, it was like not something we did typically. Yeah. There's another part of all this and that is my, 
we had a cabin in the woods in Beckett in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I used to go up to like during the summers. And that became very kind of important to us, me, my brother and my sister. And obviously I was very influenced by that. And, um, and from, uh, there's a very well-known, probably the most famous movie critic of all time, Pauline Kael, mm-hmm. lived in Great Barrington, which is where I live now. And she was a family friend. And um, that's when I first, I think, really started falling in love with movies. Okay. And so from early on, even in my early undergraduate work and then later that was the thing i think i really almost unconsciously did which was try to combine still with still photography with the kind of production value of movies light color and atmosphere so um and if you trace my work you know from the last 30 years that's in one way or another, that's like what I have done, you know, is bring those um, worlds together, those sensibilities together. And like, what, what, do, what do your family like think of you like pursuing a career in photography? Like, were they always kind of supportive of your creative endeavors and like kind of going down this path? Because as you know, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a crazy road to go down and there's a lot of ups and downs and it's not like a direct path to, it's a, it's a crazy career as you know. Yeah, uh, I, I, they were always very supportive of, of what, not only my endeavors, but my brother and my sister and what they wanted to do. They were very supportive of um, uh, our kind of ambitions. And, you know, um, I mean, it has not been easy and never has been. Um, but... Uh, yeah, absolutely for sure. Both my parents were equally supportive. No, that's awesome. And uh, like when you first, when you were kind of even just in college, like, you know, a purchase, like what kind of stuff were you photographing? Like obviously, like you said, you're inspired by movies, but when you kind of first pick up a camera, like well, what kind of stuff were you photographing early on? Well, my very first pictures were all like actually, I was very interested in like, at that time, you know, I was in a, a band. The Speedies. The, the Speedies in the late 70s. And in fact, our big song was Let Me Take Your Photo. So I was still very involved in that musical world, music world and the downtown scene and stuff. Uh, so um, my first pictures were actually of like um, made at CBGBs. And, um, and there were a lot of like, uh, I did a lot of, I became interested in like, the whole hardcore scene of like Black Flag and uh, Bad Brains and Minor Threat and started going to concerts and sh- shooting that. And uh, my one of my earliest, earliest pictures was um, uh, we went to, me and my brother went to school with Adam Yauk from the Beastie Boys. And we have a picture, I have a picture of him at the Rat Cage, which was a record, um, Company of him with Adam with a big rat on his head. That's like 
still that picture is still around yeah i saw it on your instagram it's like yeah you were like i took this for my photo one class i was like oh man the stars really aligned there it did and then um you know adam and uh, you know we remained friends throughout his life um and in fact that we wound up giving that print to um adam later on but um so I had some really pivotal teachers like Laurie Simmons and Jan Groover and some others. And then um, um, around that same time, I started taking like film theory classes um, and started taking classes on like um, Hitchcock and the horror films of 1950s and the melodrama and those that was hugely influential. So uh, I started kind of maybe unconsciously referencing those movies in my pictures and started making pictures in, in and around the towns in Beckett. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, that's when I really felt like I was connecting to a subject, you know, and in like, this is the thing I was really interested about because obviously like, like I was saying, you have a ton, like a lot of these productions are, are big crews and tons of equipment, like, and it costs a lot of money. Like, how do you make that jump from like shooting just like, you know, like shooting concerts and then, then you're like off shooting these big productions. Like, is it like, how do you make that jump? Because there's just so much involved and like, like we we're saying, there's just a lot of money involved just like producing a shoot like that. How do you kind of even like get into that world, I guess? Very organically, yeah. slow process and almost imperceptible really. But like um, a very big change happened when uh, I met my director of photography, Rick Sands, who lives in this area. And we started working together this was around, I guess, this starting with Twilight. And that was like a huge shift in the work where I started seeing how we could use light in a more choreographed way. Mm -hmm. And in those initial pictures, it was very crude in a way. Like we, we did it with a very small group of people. We rented like from a local theatrical house here and uh, did by hook or by crook. We would like tie into people's houses, electron, you know, with for electricity, and um, and we just would, you know, use like local landscapers and and my Bill, Mar like this guy who's a tree surgeon, Bill Markham, who we, we worked with very closely to put lights in his tree lift. So it really started off just like very modestly. And then uh, I would always funnel everything, any kind of like sales I would get or back into the work, you know, just like, oh, and it slowly but surely grew um, bigger. Um, yeah, no, it's just interesting to hear the process. And like, 
but before you kind of partnered with Richard Sands, the your DP that has been working with you for years, like like were you even like because I know looking at your work, you guys utilize HMIs a lot. Yeah. Um, were you you were you even in your work prior to that even utilizing those type of lights, or were you just shooting kind of natural light or strobes? Yeah. Or it was with Rick when we started using those kinds of light sources, and you know, um, and I mean, I think it really opened, you know, and that we've been working so long now that we have this really kind of great relationship where it's like it's almost like um uh you know we don't really have to speak much about what the plan is you yeah. know when we enter a new body of work we there's some broad strokes about like i want like these pictures to have a very like you know uh quiet kind of look to them and less theatrical you know this kind of thing so we like plan talk about the beforehand and then once we are up and going like there isn't a lot we have to say mm. no that's interesting and you know one thing like once you start to get recognition for your work and people start to notice your work for whatever do you feel pressure to like stay within one type of style or aesthetic or what you document or do you still feel like as an artist you have the freedom to do whatever you want like I think you always, you know, I've always said that you basically every artist has a central story to tell. Just it's it's who you are, it's your makeup, it's sort of the sum total of your influences. But within that, you really do work to challenge what your own aesthetic and um, and do what you can to like push it in different directions. Um, but you never really truly get away from yourself. You know, those, you, you, um, as much as you try, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, the pictures reflect something particular about yourself. So um, you, you, it's, it's, but it's important to push it in different directions. And obviously since you're doing this as a career, there is a commercial aspect to it like how much time and consideration do you even do you even think about just like i don't know like what are galleries going to want what are collectors going to want or do you just bl- blank that out of your mind or because it is this weird bounce of like art and commerce and you're trying to make a living and you're trying to sell books and you're trying to figure out like who who wants this i guess you can't really think about that like because yeah. um although like there are realities in terms of getting things made and um you know you're there's always like trends out there that like um uh either you sort of in and out of um but all you have or uh, all anyone has is your artwork and you have to main sort of uh remain true to it yeah and try to second guess anything it's going to be inauthentic and uh you know then w- 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 why do it and you know um there's easier ways to live in this world definitely and like coming up like early on like did you kind of always have the confidence in yourself that you would succeed and be able to do this as a career or did you ever have times of like doubting yourself like before like anybody knew who your work was and you're in all these galleries and publishing books like did, or did you kind of always just have that confidence and belief in yourself that you could make it work 
Well, it's that weird combination of like absolute sort of belief in yourself and complete self-doubt at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that never changes. Like, I can honestly say that happens daily, you yeah. know, where you're like, you, you have like complete ups and downs. And, um, and it, one thing I can honestly say, it never really gets any easier. Like you think it would, but it doesn't. Like getting bodies of work produced, um, getting them shown, you know, all of that, it's, it's, there's, you, you always have to push and push, you know, uh, even with like galleries and everything, it's like, you just, it's, um, it's a myth that like at a certain point, um, an artist, the idea of just an artist sort of existing in their own world and, um, not having a, a relation to like the um, larger world of like um, the art world of the, it's, it's you just it's you know like anything it's a balance you know but like um, it's yeah the the problems maybe just become different but there's still problems yeah, the stakes just change. Like yeah. you, you get to a point where you, you get to work on these bigger productions and, you know, maybe get a bigger show, but it's, uh, it's, it's all relative pretty much. It's just, it's the same, it's the same stress and it's just more moving parts and the juggling all these different things, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And uh, was like, like when you're, when you're kind of starting out, like, was it always your goal to kind of exhibit your work in galleries and print books or was there even, what was the goal for you, I guess? yeah the goal was always to be like an artist like i never really had like a want of being like a commercial photographer or an editorial like you know um and maybe that's naive or maybe it's just persistence but like i always wanted to m make pictures that uh reflected my uh, worldview, my story, and I've done very few, if any, so you could count less, you know, than on one hand, the, um, any kind of commercial projects that I've d done. And I, I avoided that for a reason, you know, like, um, because like, anytime you sort of venture out of your own jurisdiction, your work is no longer sort of serving your uh, artistic vision it's doing something other than that and when you did take those few like commercial jobs like what made you decide to take them and did you take anything away from it i guess the, the experience of working on a project like that yeah so um there are like on occasion like you know uh i'm was very good friends with um the members of Yola Tango band that I really admired and they approached me about using an early, you know, this was many years ago, a twilight picture for the mm -hmm. cover. And I, that, in that way, I just uh, agreed to like, let them use the picture. I didn't make something specifically, but, and then I did a campaign once for six feet under, you know, the HBO show. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. Only because like, I really liked it. 
and yeah. uh, I saw that as a, an interesting challenge and uh, and um, even that was that was difficult for me to do and then you know there are you know I did a editorial sort of collaboration with the New York Times magazine where I worked with like more well-known actors, the dream house pictures, but these are rarities, you know, and I've, um, exceptions to the rule, I guess. Is it? There's always an exception to any rule, you know? Yeah. yeah. Is it like, cause I, I, I I come like most of the work I do is like editorial work and that's kind of work I do. And I, I've never really, delved into the like gallery space or anything like that is do you think galleries in that world kind of frowns upon artists doing commercial work or because I, I know I interviewed I interviewed Todd Heido and he he has an interesting approach like he does shoot commercial work but he doesn't post it on his website like if you go to his website or his Instagram it's all just his own thing pretty much I don't think there's any hard and fast rules there are yeah. certain artists who do a lot of editorial yeah who are very successful in the art world and who are able to manage both both things yeah and actually there's artists whose work feed off those things but i i, I one thing for me is this pre, it's practical it's like um it's the expense of making my pictures is so high that very few people will do it anyway so like yeah you know the, the um so um it just doesn't make sense um, you know, on an economic level, um, on so many different levels, you know, so. Yeah, no, I know it makes sense. And, uh, like, I know looking at your work, um, I've, I've grown up in Massachusetts, so I know the areas like Great Barrington been going there for years. And, uh, a lot of your work is based around there. Um, what kind of keeps you going back there? And like, do you ever feel like, like, I know some of your work, I think you went to Rome and did a project out there, but what kind of makes you keep kind of going back to, uh, like the Berkshire area. Well, actually, I live here now. I live yeah. here. Um, you know, I feel like artists have like their territories. You mm -hmm. know, some are some photographers, particularly like our Rome. You know, they move there like um, travelers, uh, and then there are others who just like um, respond to a particular landscape or setting, and that's what uh, like for me. I've always um, been drawn to work over and over again in the same place and go deeper rather than wider. It's also, again, talking about the practicalities, it's much easier to work in a place that you're a known figure. Mm -hmm. So I could go to like, a, you know, um, the mayor or like fire department or police department. We could ask to close down streets and um, wet, you know, wet down streets or, um, whatever it is and um i'm not a stranger i'm like someone who's like been here long term and i think that it's just easier to work yeah definitely yeah, you put, putting some money back in that eco local economy man that don't hurt either that's yeah. a good that's a good thing uh and have you kind of seen it change a lot this from you've been going there for decades has, has it kind of changed and like have the areas you 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 kind of you're drawn to within the berkshires changed over the years you think Things change all the time. Yeah. You know, literally, like from like, you know, uh, week to week, because 
you know, even when I'm not working, I do continue to like location scout and yeah. at different areas and like even small changes and big changes. And uh, certainly there's been huge changes since, you know, I began working here many years ago. Yeah. But, um, you know, um, that's really part of it, really. It's just like, um, you know, the world is in constant flux. No, definitely. And uh, one project I was interested in talking to you about was uh, uh, Cathedral of the Pines. Um, what was kind of your goal with that project? Because it's not a pretty interesting. I think you ended up when you made that work, you were like living in a church for like a year, right? Yeah, I still live in a church, actually. Wow, that's how did yeah yeah before again like how do you end up living in a church? I didn't even, like that. That's an interesting thing. Well, I was living, you know, I was living in New York, and uh, at the end of my uh, uh, marriage, about ten, you know, over ten years ago. Yeah. Um, I decided to move back to Great Barrington, and. Um, it was my cameraman's uh, ex-girlfriend lived in the church and she rented it to me. Mm. And as soon as I walked in, I knew like this is like, feels like home in a certain way. There was also a secondary building, which I'm in right now, which was a former firehouse. Wow. Which is right next door. And I sort of immediately saw like I could work live situation here and um and it it's really worked out really nicely and then cathedral of the pines was um a series of pictures i made in beckett where my family house was um even though it's so long time ago but that same it's not really it's a small town it's mostly woodland mm -hmm. And I wanted to make pictures that were directly related to nature and um, really intimate and sort of smaller scale. And that's um, uh, that. So, and the the title in that work came from um, I'm a cross country skier, and the place we, uh, my partner and I, Julianne, were skiing. There was a trail called Cathedral of the Pines, and mm. That's how that title came. And with some of the work, I noticed um, some of it is nudes. How do you kind of decide when you're going to, uh, when it's going to be a nude um, subject versus not? Like, and what's the kind of the choice behind that, I guess? Well, the, those pictures in, in general were very much about like nature and like certain intimacy and nakedness. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was definitely like a sub theme of that work. And then, um, in the next, you know, the most recent body of work, um, uh, An Eclipse of Moss, I went directly in, in opposition to those pictures. They're not, they're much, they're more in like cityscapes. They're kind of larger scale. There's smaller figures. It's, it's um, uh much more removed and um and uh you know so that's an example of like going from one body of work to another where you like very consciously want to push away from the previous pictures to make the new pictures but at the same time there's a core some similarity in tone and yeah 
Definitely. And, you know, looking at the work, like I know um, you do utilize Photoshop and you guys will do like compositing and stuff. And with, with the recent project, like, like how far will you guys go with the Photoshop? Like the one photo I'm looking at is the man um, standing in the parking lot and it says like redemption center, like, or is that all like the redemption center? Is that like the letters that's just on the wall naturally? Or do you, will you guys kind of utilize Photoshop and add like, like stuff like that, I guess. So that was an actual redemption center. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was the basis for the pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just said redemption center over the door. And so I had my graphic artist. We actually got permission and sort of wrote the sign, the big letters, block letters on the side of the building. Oh, wow. center. And, uh, and then uh, aged it down. And it's still there. Wow. That's, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And like, like looking at your work, I know you kind of, um, you spent a lot of time on like location scouting, like yeah. what's, what's the process behind location scouting and like, like how do you kind of finally make the decision? Like, all right, we're going to shoot at this location. Well, it happens months before we sh- start shooting mm-hmm. and um, it's, you know, just myself driving around looking you know, it's very like at the core, it's like very core photographic of like the lone photographer wandering. And I just go to these spots and I'm looking for something that feels like familiar, but also outside of time, formally interesting. Um, and that I could accommodate one of my stories. That's what I'm looking for. And that starts the process once we find that, you know, and I find about 10 of them, 15, 20. And then I start working with my partner, Joanne. We write descriptions for each picture. Mm -hmm. And then we go into production over a period of time and make those pictures. And and the description, because I, I it's really you posted one on your Instagram story and you get to see a little bit of it. It's almost like, yeah, like a script. And is that just um more for the crew or the the dp or just the actors or what is the script what is the use behind that i guess it's for all of us it's like a guidepost for like um you know it's definitely to help uh the director of photography and the location manager and the art person everyone else who's involved they have this as like a storyboard, basically. It's a, and uh, it also helps the cat, you know, when we cast, um, a, you know, so everyone's on the same page. And I also, and even for me, like it helps me kind of visualize the picture. Yeah. And so, with, with yeah. casting, are you mostly casting people that live within the, like the Great Barrington area or wherever you're uh, shooting, or do you fly? Uh, yeah. In this last body of work, it was basically people from the neighborhoods that we look for and beforehand, you know, like always like keeping an eye out, like for people who we think could work well in the pictures. And, um, and so it's a casting process, but through local people. Is there like a lot of like returning characters or do you kind of just shoot someone once and this kind of move on? I rarely use people more than once, like on occasion, but like mostly it's um, 
it's 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 just each person is like really used just for one particular picture yeah and uh you know have you always been comfortable just kind of running this ship like because at the end of the day you're 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 the guy running the ship everyone's looking to you for the answer of what you want to do like when you first started doing these big productions um was it just kind of a learning curve and just trying to figure out like how to successfully navigate one of these big productions did it kind of take you a while you think yeah i always feel comfortable like main mainly i want i know i have the image in my head and i like feel like all of us need to work together to create that you know and i need to navigate that in one way or another you know but um my director of photography takes a lot of the um leadership role in terms of working with his team you know that they all kind of work directly through him and so like um no one's you know will ask me questions directly when they're working for him mm -hmm. and then so that's there's certain ways of like channeling information but we're all sort of working to create this perfect moment together that's what it's all about and with, with with your dp when you guys are just figuring out lighting is it um are you coming to him with like examples like i know you said you kind of get inspired by movies a lot is it like you're kind of putting a mood board together and then you guys kind of bounce ideas off or how do you kind of uh, direct the lighting aspect because it's such a big part of what you do yeah, we, we used to do that but now we're just like the mood board is the previous pictures in a way <laughs> I, you know and uh it's more like conversational like i want these pictures to feel this you know and it and um i think a lot of it has been like trying to quiet down the aesthetic you know um because um we've kind of proven that we could do these big operatic theatrical pictures um what's more challenging to me now is like to make a quieter sort of more subtle approach and certainly that's was the case in these last pictures yeah because like looking at yeah the the recent project it's like uh yeah i'm looking at the redemption center photo again it's uh it almost i don't know it almost just looks like natural light i'm yeah. sure you're lighting some of it i don't know if you are but yeah, yeah we are we're doing a lot but oh. like very there's still lights in um you know lifts very high up there's like lights in the stores there's mm -hmm. But it's um, intentionally much more quiet, you know. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it should feel it's a, it's a kind of there's a, there's a certain kind of realism to to the to the new pictures that I think um, really interests me. Yeah, and and now I know looking at your work, a lot of times um, you shoot on location, obviously, but other times you guys have gone to like sound stages and built sets. Like, when do you decide like when you're gonna go ver location versus set, and like. Is there a different workflow, I guess, just to kind of put using a soundstage, I guess? Yeah, so for Beneath the Roses, which is still by far my most epic body of work, it, um, there were eight productions in that. And the, there were four exterior productions and four soundstage productions over the course of like seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. And that's when we primarily, those interiors are all on the soundstage. And there's a very different workflow because you're 
controlling every element of it. So you're picking, you're creating the spaces, you're cricking, you know, creating like the, um, the, you know, the wallpaper and the props and all of that. And, and you're not really dealing with any outside circumstances except trying to create this world of the picture. Yeah. And I would, I would imagine the challenge is almost like, like when you're shooting on location and then you're trying to like create something on a soundstage, but all make it look cohesive. So it doesn't look like, Oh, that's like a set. That's yeah. gotta, that's the gotta be the difficult part. Like all the details and props and all that stuff to make it all look cohesive and not like stand out, I guess. Yeah. You want it all to be part of one world. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah, definitely. That's why we do a lot to like age down things and make them feel old and like, you know, um, and also do a lot of like, um, you know, uh, doorways and different kind of um, um, framing devices to create like complication in those spaces. I guess to wrap up, I guess like you've accomplished a lot and, uh, you know, what kind of drives you now? And like, I guess, what kind of keeps you going and what kind of keeps you interested in photography, I guess? Um you just need to feel like you're um, um, working towards finding what the story means, you know, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, as I said earlier, it's like the problems never really change. Whenever you make the next picture, you're dealing with like a formal issue. You're dealing with like how things look in the frame. Yeah. Dealing with light and color. They're all like formal. It's like a math problem. Mm -hmm. And you hope that the pictures will connect and uh, make sense. And, um, and, you know, every time you finish a body of work, then the next body of work happens. You know, it's like that's, I mean, there's a lot of in between time and there's a lot of like busy work and, but in the end, that's the thing that pushes you always. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, Gregory, man, I can't thank you enough. I've uh, been a big fan of your work for years. So it was a real pleasure talking to you, man. And, uh, looking forward to seeing some more uh, great work coming out of my home state in Massachusetts. So I can't thank you enough for your time, man. It's my pleasure. And thanks for the really interesting questions. All right. Yeah. I tried my best. Hopefully it was great. Yeah. I appreciate it. Okay. Take bye care, bye. Gregory. Bye. So there you have it. That was the Gregory Crudson interview. I uh, just want to thank Gregory so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Uh, it was a really pleasure talking to him about his uh, journey with photography and how he kind of approaches his his massive productions. The stuff he does is truly incredible, and his like like I said, his storytelling ability. Um, there's really just nothing like it. So I can't thank him enough. Uh, definitely go give uh, Gregory a follow on Instagram at Crudson Studio. Um, I'll put the link in the description, um, but he's got lots of cool work up there, and uh, definitely go check that out. They're always updating, and uh, as well, he's got a cool documentary about him. Um, it's available on Apple and I believe Amazon Prime um, called Gregory Crudson Brief Encounters. Um, it's this kind of documentary that kind of shows behind the scenes of his uh, process and how they kind of put together some of these productions. Uh, really cool documentary, so definitely go check that out. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as the Photo Banter YouTube page. Uh, so definitely go check that out and hit the subscribe button. And as always, thanks so much for listening and take care.